Okay, so today I've got Maria Shen. We just come off stage at um, NFT Castle. She's from Electric Capital, which is an early stage um, crypto investor, but they also invest in equities as well as tokens. Um, they're all very experienced coders, um, and they've got kind of huge amount of credibility from a technical perspective in the space. Um, so really looking forward to going deeper with you than we we managed to do on the panel, which is very dynamic. I think you're at the other end of it, so it's quite difficult to see. So looking forward to to get to doing this. But um, maybe you could do a bit of a better job than I just did of introducing yourself, your background, and, and maybe also just for context, the team as well, because I know, as I said, you've got like a shared, shared background. Yeah, sure. Um, maybe it makes sense to just go in chronological order. So. Yeah. Um, I graduated from Harvard, studied political science and computer science, then went to work at Microsoft um, for a couple of years as a product manager there and um, working on search tech specifically. And then afterwards went to get my master's in computer science. Um, while I was doing that, I started my own company and then converted to working on that full time afterwards. Um, and, uh, you know, my, my working on my company was how I weirdly got into crypto because it was in the supply chain space. And this was kind of back in 2015, 2016. So if you kind of cast your memory back then, this was when direct-to-consumer became a thing. All of a sudden, everyone was like, oh, wow, like I can sell directly through Instagram. I can have my own brand and my own small business this way. Um, so, you know, thousands of small businesses kind of popped up overnight. Like this is how Shopify became really valuable as well. Um, and a lot of these businesses knew exactly what to do when it came to marketing, um, when it came to creating products, but not so much on the supply chain side. So we were effectively the supply chain backend for a lot of these small businesses. Um, one of the recurring issues that my customers had was they would have to do cross-border payments with manufacturers. Um, and it's not difficult for the reasons that you would think, like for an exchange, cross-border payments, like sure, that's that's painful, but it's manageable. Um, the bigger issue was that there was no fundamental trust between these two parties who were separated by geographic lines and often languages as right. well. They never worked together. These manufacturers were used to working with like Nordstrom or H&M, you know, not small businesses. So anyways, um, long story short, they had a lot of issue trying to figure out who pays first, how much do you pay? Um, and so I remember, you know, I'd, I'd been following crypto very, very loosely since 2013, but I remember in 2015, Ethereum came on the scene and it was like, wow, you know, not only can you have digital value, you can now write rules on top of this digital value. Um, and so for me, I was like, oh, this seems useful, right? Like, oh, if I can write rules on top of digital value, I can just do a really simple escrow. Um, and that would solve everyone's problems. It'll be super cheap. And we can do cross-border payments really easily. I was like, I bet someone's already doing this. Let me just integrate with their APIs. Um, again, 2016. So I realized very, very quickly as I dug in that um, fiat on-ramps and off-ramps were, were not a thing. Um, and still painful now to a degree. Still incredibly painful. And then think about trying to chain that into a cohesive product experience across different countries. That just was not tenable. Um, KYC and AML is all over the place. So I was like, okay, well, th this is not going to work for, for my use case. But that was what got me into crypto because I realized like, you know, actually the potential is here. Infrastructure is something that can be built, um, but the tech is real. So then in 2018, um, I, you know, kind of by, by, by this time 2018 rolled around, um, the crypto market had tanked like 80%, but I was like, no, this is, I, I really believe in it. I think this is like, this is, this is going to be, um, 
like a new a new industry or kind of like a new way that everyone's going to do things. Um, wanted to go full time into crypto and um, ended up joining Electric. And everyone at Electric has kind of a similar background in the sense that everyone has either been an early operator um, at places like VMware and Facebook, or they've started and sold companies. And so um, we gravitate towards working with early stage developers or, and, and founders um, as a result, just because I think we have that affinity and, and you know, we we kind of understand the types of difficulties that can arise at that stage, which is literally everything. Yeah. Um, and so try to plug in whenever we can. So um, you said you kind of joined crypto around that time after the crash. And I know that uh, a lot of developers, like serious developers working in big tech, were quite dismissive of crypto largely because they, they, they didn't like the speculative nature um, and so when the market tanked, it kind of vindicated a lot of people that they said, yeah, like I told you, it was this, this giant scam. Right. Yeah. Um, and it was amazing speak, speaking to people in, you know, Google or wherever. They were definitely aware of it, but they kind of didn't want to be associated to yeah. it or yeah. um, it certainly didn't occupy en- enough of their mind. But well, firstly, do you think that's changed? Um, and like, how does your peer group is it the same peer group? Are they migrating into the space or is there still the 99% of developers that just aren't, aren't interested in what Web3? I, it's an excellent question. I think it has changed dramatically. Um, you know, in the very beginning, I definitely was the crazy one. Um, and then with the bull market, right, like with new all-time highs, suddenly I'm getting text messages like, hey, like, what do you think oh, of this right, thing? Um, and people want to t- chat about crypto. People are really crypto curious. Um, I do think a lot of people are still hesitant to make the leap into crypto full time, but I, is it, is that reputationally like they, you know, they don't want to, if they've got this great tech career, is that, yeah, I mean, I think, and, and like, you know, these are, I have a lot of friends who are super smart, right. And like kind of understand the potential of crypto, but still is hesitant. Um, well, I mean, A, I think people might just be risk averse. I think right. especially when you have a comfortable job somewhere else, um, jumping into a new field um, feels risky. I think part of part of that is um, crypto's reputation really suffered through 2017. Um, it, and it's it's it, it's speculative and it's speculative today. But I think 2017 really like indelibly kind of created a reputation around crypto being like it can feel very scammy, right? Yeah. And I think if you dig through all of that noise to find really quality contributors and quality builders, you realize, you know, holy shit, there's this whole universe that's being created. This is this is real and, and people are smart and people are dedicated and people are here for the right reasons. Um, but it takes a lot to, to dig through to find that, I think. Yeah, I mean, and I guess that's just the nature of permissionless innovation, right? It's messy. Um, and yeah, you somehow somehow have to try to filter through all that. Yeah. So how do you do that electric capital then? You know, you, you are, you're very well thought of. Um, you know, you must see hundreds, maybe even thousands of projects in any given year. Um, how do you begin to sort through what's even worth your time to, to go mm-hmm. and do technical due diligence? Yeah, I'd be curious how you think about this as well. Um, I I really think at this early stage, we're generally, you know, we like to be first check in. And so right. a lot of the times, so it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really, it's based on the founder, yep. right? We'll sit down with the founder and have a conversation with them. Um, 
And generally what I'm looking for is um, there's kind of external stuff and then internal stuff. External stuff would be like market, right? Like does the market make sense? Because you can be a brilliant founder with like um, excellent execution, but if the market is not big enough, then it's made timing. Or, yeah, or right, or timing, so or really. then it just might not be a venture style return, and like raising venture capital may not actually be the right funding mechanism. Um, so that aside, um, you know, after kind of looking at the market, I think it's really based on the thoughtfulness of the founder. Um, at that early stage, it's almost guaranteed that whatever they do is not going to be the thing that they end up doing, even in like three months. Um, and so it's a question of do I have faith that. Um, or, or does the founder demonstrate um, this ability to think through things and think deeply about things, understand what assumptions he or she um, are making and understand like how to test those assumptions? Um, and if one of those assumptions falls, can they be flexible enough to come up with another plan of action? Um, and concretely, I think that usually means um you know, do they understand the holes in, in what they're exploring or the potential holes in what they're exploring? Do they understand what are the like top thing that they need to test for in the MVP? Yeah. Um, have they built a model um, around how this, you know, how what they're building is going to interact with the environment? And 99% of the time, the model is like, you know, total bullshit because it's just like, it's there's so many assumptions that go mm-hmm. into it. Um, but what I've seen generally is like, if the model doesn't even work, then it definitely doesn't work. If the model works, probably still is not going to work, but at least, you know, at least you've kind of filtered out some, some really basic stumbling blocks. Um, so yeah, I I think, and then obviously like looking at the tech, looking at who else is, is in the team is important. Um, but yeah, I'd be curious kind of what you look at as well. I think at that early stage, I mean, it's, it's, it's the same thing. It's, it's the founders. Um, and actually we, we bias towards co-founding teams, not just a single founder, because mm. it's just startups are really hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they're hard emotionally too. So right. I'm having in that emotional partner. Right. Yeah. And I think one of the cool things about an accelerator is, so everyone thinks great founders would never go through an accelerator because they don't need one, you know, but um, actually there's, there's like a common trait generally across people that apply to an accelerator, which often they have humility. Because they understand that they need help. They understand that they have um, holes, gaps um, in a way that I think serves them really well over the long term in team building. They know when to go to advice to an expert on a particular thing um, rather than just thinking. So, for example, as a founder, I probably would have never gone into Accelerator because I thought I knew it all wrongly and, and you know, learned some very painful lessons as a consequence, which set me back and it took me much longer. Um, but I think, you know, the most humble, um, founders that join often are the ones that succeed the most. Mm, Yeah. That's an interesting observation. I think it's, it's a combination of humility and the ability to recognize when you're wrong about something. Um, I think I, I struggled with that really when I was working on my own company as well, because you work so hard on something that you develop tunnel vision, right? It's hard to, and you don't want to be wrong. You don't Even want to be if wrong. you feel you might be wrong. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I think it's having that intuition to understand and accept when you are wrong. So are you guys, you know, as developers, you know, you must you must look at Web3 from a developer's, you know, vantage point. And you, do you do you have a lot of middleware and stuff, or, or are you kind of much deeper down in, in, in the stack? 
Yeah, we have traditionally invested in layer ones. Um, is, so maybe just even taking a step back, yeah. the the thesis that we have, um, this was developed, you know, back in late 2017, 2018. So before DeFi was a thing, the thesis we had was um, crypto can be used for a number of different things and kind of recall that back in the day, people were like, oh, enterprise use cases, right? Like blockchain, not crypto, yeah. like, or like, oh, it could be used for supply chain. Um, and so um, there were a lot of just kind of different use cases that blockchain can be applied to, but we felt the one with the most asymmetric return would be in the financial industry and as financial instruments. Worked out pretty well. Um, <laughs> Is it bad? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And so like when DeFi, you know, first it was looking at layer ones as, um, you know, possible settlement layer, but also as a platform upon which a lot of these financial products can be created. Um, and then it was once DeFi came around, it was like, well, you know, this, this is actually exactly what we were waiting for. Um, so invest in a lot of DeFi. And through all of this, I think there were opportunities for middleware and developer tools to exist. Um, we, we frankly didn't invest in a lot of them early on, and now we're reconsidering that position and, and we've invested in things like radical, for example, but early there are on, so many layer ones now, I mean, that kind of, I know there's plenty coming to market still, you know, yeah. with a competitive offering. And, and of course, you know, there are some that are pretty big caps that still don't have basic smart contract function. So when I say it's, it's over, it's not quite over, but like, you're probably not actively looking for more layer ones now. I would say it's challenging at this point for a layer one to come in, and yeah. given how big everyone's treasury is. Yeah, um, uh, yeah it, it's difficult. I'm not to say impossible, but very difficult. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I think we're finally at a point now where there's enough applications being built that developer tools are necessary. And I think early on, um, maybe that you know, back to your point about timing. I think early on, maybe that wasn't the case, but we are definitely getting to this inflection point where developer tooling is becoming incredibly important and needs to be the backbone that supports a lot of new things that are being built. Um, so, you know, certainly we're, we're kind of looking into that now. And then finally, um, with that DeFi focus, obviously you're based primarily in the US, I understand, team on the West Coast, um, in a slightly maybe challenging regulatory environment. I don't know how, I don't want to put words in, into your mouth about how you perceive it, but obviously A16's just did this whole submission um, to the SEC or to the Senate, I can't remember, around recommendations for policy. Um, how do you see all that playing out, you know, DeFi in US context? Is it that it's going to be slightly less DeFi and it's going to have to professionalize the industry? I have no idea what that looks like, or is it it goes even more extreme to the to the define a non-founder yeah I, I think it's challenging I think I've kind of personal views but you know I've really wanted regulators to step in to provide clarity because otherwise you have founders kind of working in this purgatory of not knowing if they're creating you know if they're making a misstep or not yeah so I think regulatory clarity is is really important to the advancement of the space um but that being said, it doesn't feel very friendly right now. Um, and I, I hope that changes. We'll see. Um, but, you know, does I it just, matter? Do you well, think it matters? I, mean, I think it I think it matters for the United States. For founders, they're just moving out. Like I, I see a lot of founders who are who are just starting their businesses elsewhere at this point because um, because there is too much uncertainty. 
Great. Well, look, it's been fascinating talking to you on, on a one-to-one off, off the panel. Um, and, uh, you know, really looking forward to hopefully collaborating with a bit more with Electric Capital and Outlier. As I said, I know you're thought of very highly, both personally and as a, as a collective. Um, and I would highly recommend, you know, especially very technical founders and technical team members to, to be uh, speaking to you guys as early as possible in the process. Yeah, thank you. It was great to chat with you.